Psalm 55. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a contemplation of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in my complaint and moan noisily. Because the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. We could go on and reading the whole psalm, but I want to really focus and zero in on these and then look at some of the other verses in the psalm later on. Have you ever had a feeling that you just want to escape, that you just want to get out and uh, just shut off? <laughs> um, Sometimes I think we do want to escape. We want to get away from our responsibilities. We want to get away maybe from faithful duty, faithful, uh, faithfulness, faithfulness toward God, essentially. Uh, we have a desire from time to time to escape, and I think David uh, shows that in this psalm. You know, if I could just get away from all this, get away from all this pressure, get away from all this negativity, get away from all this hostility... A couple of things I want us to just think about today as we consider this. We want to escape sometimes, and but I want us to learn that even though David might have wanted to escape, it doesn't seem like he ever did. It doesn't seem like he ever forsook his responsibilities. And we also want to talk about what real and true escape means, what real freedom in Christ means. This is a common problem, and we need to know that in this day and age, we have a number of people that are trying to escape and wanting to escape their responsibilities. We have a whole younger generation uh, coming up now that I think uh, is, is maybe being taught that they don't have to deal with the responsibilities if they don't want to. And what David shows us here is that there's this great desire that's within us, but just because we have this desire doesn't necessarily mean we need to act upon it. And so I thought this might be a, a good thing for us to consider today. As I said, we, we just want to escape sometimes. But I want us to note that this is not always a sign of weakness. Just because I have this desire doesn't necessarily mean that I myself, there's something faulty with me, there's something wrong with me necessarily. Uh, whether in our local congregation, our family, our career, our school, we may just want to escape sometimes. We may be tempted in this way. And we know that even Jesus had these temptations. He's in the middle of the wilderness. What does Satan tempt him with? Command these stones to be made bread. And he also tempts him in other ways, in pride. He offers him all the kingdoms of the world. How easy would it have been for Jesus just to take that and to lead the world in the way that he wanted to lead them? Let's not think that when we're being tempted, or when we feel like we have this great desire to get away from our responsibilities, that there's something automatically always 
weak within us. Even in that sense, if we if you take from that, God can take that weakness and build it into something great. We know the world is going to offer these opportunities from time to time. There may be even situations that come up that make it easy for us to abscond with our responsibilities. You think about the child that begins to run away from home. I, I did that one time. I got fed up. I, uh, I don't remember what. I was like maybe eight years old. Tossed whatever I want to in a little backpack I had. And I walked down the street, you know. I turned around probably about five feet from the driveway. I said, no, nah, this isn't going to work. So <laughs> uh, but, but we have that desire. Are we going to act upon it? What, what, what do we learn from David here? We learn in verses 1 through 5, David is up against a treacherous enemy. You, you consider in these verses how he is begging for recognition from God for his troubles. Let me suggest that's not wrong for us to do when we're offering prayers to God, to lay it out before him. Just as when Sennacherib came up against Jerusalem and was basically breathing out these accusations against Hezekiah. And there was a letter that Sennacherib wrote to Hezekiah that was very threatening. You remember in those passages that Hezekiah brought it into the temple essentially and laid it out before God and wanted God to listen to these issues. What's the reason uh, that, that David begs for recognition? You, you consider what he's saying. Give ear. Don't hide yourself from my supplication. Listen to me. And, of course, we know that God is always listening. If we're penitent, we know that God is listening. But let's own that. Let's make sure in our prayers that we're voicing that, that we want God to hear these things because we need to be reminded in our prayers, don't we? Because prayers are for us, right? We need to be reminded in our prayers that God is listening. And sometimes this emphasis will bring that about. And I think that it's the pure resistance he's facing from his enemies. In verse 3, the voice of the enemy, the oppression of the wicked, they're bringing down all this, these issues, all this trouble upon him, this burden upon him. And it's in this context where his heart, verse 4, is severely pained. He thinks he's going to die. I think that's about the, the, the situation that we have here. This, verse 5, fearfulness and trembling, uh, the horror overwhelming him. It's in this context that he wishes that he had a way of escape. The rest of the psalm highlights the nature of this enemy. It's not an outwardly hostile enemy, but someone who was close and trusted. So uh, there's a couple of possibilities that we're going to discuss in just a few minutes. But I want us to note the response of David toward that enemy. He's not focusing on personal vengeance, is he? Look at verse 9. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. So he's giving up to God to do this. Look at verse 16. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. I'm not going to go out and save myself. I'm not going to go fight this and make this right myself. Verse 22. Cast, this is sort of the summation of the whole psalm. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, shall bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. 
but I will trust in you. I really think that's an interesting thought where he's saying bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live out half their days. That's a common theme throughout the Psalms, that the wicked will crumble beneath their own plans, that their own uh, construction, their own uh, thoughts will be their demise. And so what a great lesson for us to learn and understand that David is saying, Lord, you take care of this. You're the one that can handle this. I know that you can. And so I'm leaving it in your hands. So even if there are points where we feel like maybe this is a weakness within ourselves that we want to get out, our weakness can be solved with God's strength in our lives. We remember in Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. It's never for us to mete out justice on anyone, and we need to know that. And of course, this is included in physical or verbal abuse, right? And if we focus on this, and if we think about the fact that I'm going to let God fight my battles, the wonderful thing about that is it takes us out of the way. Because it's not really about us, is it? It's about the fight that the Lord has. It's about that great battle where God is proving himself to be true and just and right. And part of this, too, is when we, when we make it all about us, don't we take away from that a little bit? Don't we take that spotlight upon ourselves? And we think we're going to be the ones to resolve this. We need to make sure that we're trusting in God. What a great lesson that David might have wanted to escape, but he didn't. The verses in verses 6 through 8 where he says, the, the wings like a dove, that, that dove sometimes is a symbol of, of peace, calmness. Uh, there's a resolution to it. You think about the dove that Noah saw after the flood. David takes an almost abrupt departure here, sort of in a wistful longing to escape his troubles. He wants to get away from these things. How often do we have, do we think about getting away from our responsibilities, getting away from our troubles, and we think, I would fly away and be at rest. And he's thinking in verse 7, you have that term salah being used there, selah. I'm not quite sure exactly how to pronounce that. And uh, there's some question over exactly what that word or phrase means in the Psalms, but it's typically thought that this was meant to be a break in the singing. And uh, the music, keep in mind, these are songs, right? They were going to be sung to music, and this would typically might be a break within the singing, uh, just sort of a contemplation to think about these things. So if David is writing this term here, it might be that he wants us to consider, he wants to think about how pleasant that escape can sound. How nice getting away from these troubles, getting away from these issues might sound to us. And I want to link that up to our final point because the fact is if we get freedom in Christ, if we escape in the way that God wants us to escape, that is that true peace, isn't it? That is the true rest that remains for the people of God like the author in Hebrews is talking about. But He would remain in the wilderness, supposedly far away from his troubles. Let's talk about what he was desiring escape from. There's a number of different things. You know, one of the first things I thought of in preparation for this lesson was uh, the persecution of Saul. I don't have it up here, 
but that's kind of what we've been reading about in Wednesday nights recently. It's just the, the campaign that Saul wages against David to the point that he is, uh, uh, I, I would say, again, you know, bloodthirsty. <laughs> I think in verse 23, bloodthirsty and deceitful men. I think Saul is a bloodthirsty and deceitful man by the end of it all. And uh, he's, not, he's not being straightforward about this. He's, he's uh, pursuing David even in spite of his own son. But think about this, too. In verses 1 through 5, is it possible that David might want to escape from the burdens of kingship, from the burdens of leading a nation? Uh, that's certainly possible. But we see that the, the wicked are bringing down trouble upon him in wrath. They're hating him. Uh, it's a huge task to rule an entire nation. It's also possible that it was the ingratitude from the people themselves. Look at verses 12 through 14. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. We know that David had fought hard and he fought for many years to essentially achieve the unity of his people into a nation. In the time of Saul, the tribes were not completely all together when you think about it, but it wasn't until David came along that all of those tribes were really pulled together into a whole. And now in the latter part of his life, uh, the people might be rebelling against him. And, and, and that may be more likely what we're looking at here. He may be wanting to escape from what happened with a rebellious son. And we go back and we read in 2 Samuel 18 and, and verses... Uh, 529 and through 33 we know that Absalom was at the heart of this rebellion uh, but when we go back and look at that and consider these things um, we might actually turn there when we think about again how David was able to navigate these things and how much, you know, we talk about the, the, the problems that David had and the, the issues that David had later on in his life <clears throat> we also need to make sure that we're appreciating the good things about David, how he was able to delineate and consider that, you know, again, this aspect of vengeance. I'm not going to get personal vengeance. I'm going to let God fight my battles. 2 Samuel 18, we see in verse 5, he, he tells the men that are going out to take care of this rebellion, he says, deal gently for my sake <clears throat> with the young man Absalom. It, it, that is so opposite of how most people in the world would act and react to these situations. You would think someone of a worldly mindset would say, you make sure that Absalom gets justice. You make sure that Absalom gets what's coming to him. But as a father, uh, he certainly had a tender heart toward, them, toward Absalom. In uh, verse 29, after Absalom's death, the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? Ahimaaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and me, your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. And the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. 
Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he, wept, as he went, he said thus, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O oh, Absalom, my son, my son. We, our heart goes out to David in those words, of course. And even though Absalom was at the heart of this rebellion, he had this tenderness toward him all throughout. Now, whatever time in David's life this psalm was written in, the message rings clear. Even though David might have desired escape, he didn't take that road. What can we learn from David? He met his responsibilities like a man, just like we all have to do. And we're not talking about just being a good family member. We're not just talking about being a good employee or a good student at school. We're talking about being a faithful Christian. And the only way to do so is to wear the armor of God. As he mentions in Ephesians 6, and let's turn there, Ephesians chapter 6. And verse 10. So much of this is preparation. We need to be mindful of that. Ephesians 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We could go on in reading, but... As Christians, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to wear this armor, to be watchful, to be diligent in all these things in his kingdom. And we don't ever need to uh, consider, really, uh, the aspect of escaping from that. You know, again, the temptation can come up from time to time. And just because that temptation happens doesn't mean that we're weak. It only really ultimately means we're weak if we don't do anything about that, if we don't strengthen ourselves and fight to be better, to fight to be closer to God and more of what He he wants us to be. Christians have to show gratitude in every walk of their life. That thankfulness, I think, that David has toward God is just so important for us to, to think about and consider. And we see in Ephesians 5.20 and 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we won't turn there, but we note that the Christian is supposed to have a thankful attitude, an attitude that says, you know, I'm, I'm going to be grateful. And so certainly if someone among us is doing a good job, we need to make sure to thank them. We need to show gratitude to others that are helping us in this fight so that we understand that this is really about helping each other out and letting God wage the battle, let, let God fight our wars. Again, David suffered so much from Absalom, but David never hated him. And when young people are tempted, those of you who are younger, those, you know, our children, let me just say, when you're tempted to do wrong, make sure to think about your parents. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I think of is that 
if I had really, you know, in the darkest times of my life where I was just swallowed up by sin, how, how much better things might have been if I had thought about my parents in a way that what is this going to do to them? You know, what is this going to do to their influence? And, uh, you know, growing up a preacher's kid, uh, that, that was actually something that was a negative in my mind. I was just, I've got all this pressure to do good and things like that, when the reality is that I had a responsibility, and we all have a responsibility to maintain. And it's not just about uh, what our parents think, but it's about what God thinks. 1 Corinthians 15:33, evil companions corrupt good morals. Galatians 6 and verse 7 speaks toward this as well. Um, the reference is... is uh, leaving my mind right now. Let me turn to it real quick so I don't butcher it. In uh, Galatians 6 and verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That our choices have consequences. And if we uh, escape in such a way that we're negating all of this, uh, this truth, all these good things that God has done for us, what are we doing? And of course, Ephesians 6, 1, Obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. As a parent, we might understand, might see how David could have done better. It might be that discipline was lacking in Absalom's upbringing, just as it's lacking in many homes today. Children need to see their parents seeking the kingdom and seeking his righteousness above and beyond all. If they don't see that, how are they ever going to do it themselves? Many children have unfortunately experienced the devastating effects of one or both of their parents escaping or quitting in the form of separation or divorce, uh, whether they're quitting the family or whether they're quitting God. That's happening in a lot of families today. We're just, you know, people are leaving churches and they're just not going anywhere. Let's understand that the consequences go on even if we do everything that we can to make it right. So let's think about the children that we're bringing up, that we're being the right kind of examples for them. And the answer is never for us to fly away. I think David knew the answer was not to fly away. And while he, we may have these temptations, these thoughts from time to time, we know that we cannot do this alone, that we can't just escape from this path. The reality is we've got to change our perception. God offers us a true escape. Turn with me to John 8. John chapter 8. We'll share some things here and then the lesson will be yours. What does real escape, what does real freedom look like? I think Jesus deals with that in John 8 and verse 30. We'll pick up in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. A couple of things that we see in this passage. First of all, the sinful world will lock us in chains as quick as it can. We might think of sin and a sinful life as an escape from our responsibilities, but the reality is that we are in shackles. 
because what he's saying clearly here, he's not talking about them being physical slaves, even though the statement is kind of ludicrous at its point. They had been slaves multiple times. But whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. For example, the adulterer, while living a life that is quote-unquote free, away from the uh, responsibilities of being a spouse per se, you're not really free of those, right? We talk about the person who mentally divorces their, their spouse and then goes off with someone else. Well, they're still bound to that person, aren't they? And so let's recognize the truth about freedom that the world is going to want to lock us in these chains as quickly as possible. And God offers a way out. God offers a way out of that, those shackles, out of that, that, that sin, but only if we take it. And the way he gives this freedom is through truth. If we love truth and we seek truth, God's going to bless us. And of course, if the Son makes us free, nothing can enslave us again except ourselves. Another thing in this passage is that true freedom is better than anything we can imagine. It's found in not just listening to God and not even just believing, as we saw in this passage. Those who believed Him, right? He says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. That's where that freedom is. We live in His word. We, we let that word root down within us. That's where that freedom lies. So, are we tempted with escaping? The real freedom is through listening, believing, and abiding. Here's some passages just for us to think about. You might jot those down. We don't have time this morning to go to them. But uh, just a few things to to think about this morning. Hopefully it's been useful for you. Uh, If you're not a child of God, and you want to be free, we want to extend that invitation to you this morning. If you are a child of God, and maybe you feel like those temptations of escaping have gotten to the point where maybe you've made some sort of actions to escape, and maybe you, uh, in that way, maybe you sinned against God, we want to extend the invitation to make that right with Him this morning. Whatever your situation, please come while we stand and sing.